Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. You know, you wonder when things change last minute or something comes up and God, God changes the path, like... I, I had a few interactions this past week where individuals pointed out, you know, God must have had a purpose in that taking longer or in, in the car breaking down or in us having to change plans today. I, I don't know if when we get to eternity and we're face to face with God's glory, if we're going to remember to ask some of these questions, if we're going to remember to turn around and, and try and get a, a view in hindsight of how God worked his plan through all of these things. I don't know if we're going to remember to do that, but isn't it incredible when you get to look back and you get to see how God works through the situations in which he works? So many times we don't get to see it, do we? All right, today is Baptism Sunday, so I'm going to speak on baptism. Great, great guess, great guess. Uh, Next Sunday is the first Sunday of September, and the first Sunday of the month is typically, traditionally, when we have Lord's Table, so we're going to have Lord's Table next Sunday, and I'm going to speak about Lord's Table, so we're going to speak on two institutions in the church uh, that Jesus commanded the church to be observing. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This do in remembrance of me as often as you eat of it, as often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. So that's what we're going to talk about next weekend. Uh, the following Sunday is the 10th. We're going to have a church rally where we commission and pray for and celebrate our Journey Kids team, our Momentum Youth team, and we set them off for the year in prayer under God's direction. And then the following Sunday is the 17th, and we're going to jump into our fall preaching series. We want to get into some topics on family as we see family through Scripture. But today, baptism. I do want to mention that uh, we have some resources available, and we made some additional copies for today. You've heard us talk about the Call to Follow booklet a lot, and we have it out there. It's the first of a three-booklet series. It deals with baptism A lot of the content in today's sermon time is the final chapter in this booklet. So if if you're interested, if you want to dig in further, grab that booklet. It's in the table under the TV in the lobby today. And then just a shorter brochure on baptism. And these contain a ton of scriptures that you can go home, get your Bible out, look up, study, discuss with a friend. Uh, So we want to encourage you with those resources after the service today. So let me give you four things about baptism. And then we're going to go have some baptisms. I think that's pretty cool. Baptism. Number one, baptism is an initial act of faith in Christ. It's an initial act of faith. Key emphasis on that term initial. Initial. After we make the personal decision to trust Christ as our personal savior, baptism is an initial act of faith. Our motto here at Faith Baptist is share the journey, and following Jesus is a lifelong journey. The beginning is when we come to faith in Christ, 
And the end is when we breathe our last, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's a journey of following Jesus. And baptism is an initial act of faith as we follow Jesus. It typically signifies the start of that journey. Jesus himself was baptized to signify the start of his earthly ministry. And we can read this, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. This was the reading reminder post for this past week. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I love those words. Identifying Jesus as the Son of God. So the Father speaks over the Son. The Spirit rests on the Son. It's, it's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. The fact that God is three persons in one. The same Spirit, three separate offices. Father, Son, and Spirit. So following his baptism, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, fasting. He's tempted by the devil. And then he comes to teach, to minister to people, and to call his first disciples. So really, it was like the public introduction of his earthly ministry. That's what kicked it off. That's what initiated it. It was the initial public step. Baptism is our initial public step of faith. The conversations leading up to baptism tend to focus on whether or not somebody is is ready for baptism. Really, the, the only criteria is two things. It's the same question that we're going to ask in the water, and you're going to hear us say it after the service. Have they trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior for the forgiveness of their sins? And then, is it their desire to follow Jesus? Is it their intention to follow Jesus all their days as he enables them and helps them to do so? Those are the two criteria for baptism, forgiveness of sins and desire to follow Jesus with their life. What we're not asking is, do you have your life cleaned up yet? Are you done sinning? Are there any final sins you want to do before we get down to the river? <laughs> do you know all of the answers? And can you articulate them in your own words? Have, have you uh, perfect church attendance, memorize your Bible, pray three times a day. No, we don't ask any of those questions. We have those conversations leading up to baptism, but baptism, that's, that's not what it's about. Baptism is an initial act of faith. I love how the called to follow booklet says it. Baptism does not say, I have arrived. It says, I have begun. It's an initial act of faith. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch. It's a popular baptism story in the scriptures. He's on the road with his chariot. 
Philip is prompted by the Spirit to go to this place, and then as the Ethiopian eunuch passes by, he's prompted by the Spirit to talk to this individual. Have you ever felt a prompting like that from the Spirit? You know, maybe, maybe you're out and about, and there's just this still small voice that says, you need to slow down and talk to that person right there. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever actually followed through on that, and, and then the following conversation is like, wow, God had that in the works. And I just simply needed to follow his prompting and be the person who stepped in to continue the conversation that God already started before the foundation of the world. So that's the case here. It turns out he's been reading the book of Isaiah. He's been in his chariot. Somehow it was a smooth enough road. I don't know. He can read the scroll as he's going. I'm not sure how that worked. He's reading Isaiah, the fifth gospel, as Doug Campbell pointed out when he spoke on it. He wanted to know who Isaiah was talking about. Is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus because that's what it's all about. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? What are the other steps? What are the other courses? What are the other interviews and meetings and booklets and trainings that I have to do to prepare for baptism? Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Again, an incredible picture. The only thing the Ethiopian knew was the good news of Jesus Christ. From the book of Isaiah, as explained by Philip. That's it. He didn't have a theology course. He didn't have a textbook that he could thumb through other than the scroll of Isaiah. He didn't have a sermon series. He didn't have booklets. He didn't have a kid's program to teach him when he was young. All he had was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And to be baptized, that's all you need. Baptism is an initial act of faith that says publicly, I have decided to follow Jesus. Baptism does not say, I have arrived. It says, I have begun. Here's my second point. Baptism is intention to live for Christ. The term Christian is an interesting one. Have you thought of this one? Do you know where the term Christian came from? Because I think its origin story is really helpful for this conversation. It's Acts chapter 11 and verse 25. Acts 11 verses 25 and 26. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, what I find interesting is that the apostles, the believers, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they didn't come up with the name Christian. They didn't, they didn't call a special meeting where they invited everybody and took attendance and called the meeting to order and said, now here's what's on the agenda. We need to come up with a name to really brand ourselves, to really set us apart so that when people see us, they can call us 
this name and they'll know who we are. No, that's, that's not what they did. The people of Antioch referred to them as Christians, which means little Christ or to be in Christ. Christian, to be in Christ. The surrounding community around them called them Christians. Christian was the world's term for the disciples. It was how the surrounding community labeled them, how the world identified them as followers of Jesus. They were Christians. That's an appropriate thing. Christianity is meant to be public. If our intention is to follow Jesus with our lives as he enables us to do so, the world should be able to tell. They should see a difference, should they not? We wear a Leafs jersey to show we're Leafs fans. We buy the hat to show that we went to that place on vacation, like I did when I was down in Maine. We wear the ring to show that we're married. We live for Jesus to show the world that we are followers of Jesus. Being immersed in water is a public symbol that we are all in for him. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit indwelt the believers and the church was born, Peter stood and preached Jesus in front of crowds of people. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, when they heard Peter's sermon about Jesus Christ through the scriptures, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Spirit convicted them based on the reading of the word of God. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And the early church was born. That's a big public baptism service right there, isn't it? After they received his words, Peter's words of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, then they were baptized. How long would it take to baptize 3,000 people? Where would you do that? How far did they have to travel? What did that crowd look like? How much attention did it draw? How many other people from the surrounding community came along to see what this big group of 3,000 people were going to do? 3,000 people said, I trust Jesus, and my intention is to live my life for him. Did you know that when Saul was persecuting the church, dragging men, dragging women from their homes for following Jesus, martyring Christians. On the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, he meets Jesus. He's blinded by the light. For three days, he has what appears to be scales over his eyes. And then on the third day, he comes to faith in Jesus. The scales fall off. He can see. Do you know that he was baptized, it says? Right then and there? Right after that? Just imagine the... The brothers and sisters from church call you up and say, hey, we're going to have a baptism service. You should make your way down here right now because Saul 
is here. Whoa, no, 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 no. We shouldn't have a baptism service. Can't we push it to the next day? Shouldn't we wait until Saul goes on his merry way? And then, no, you don't understand. Saul is the one who's being baptized. What kind of testimony would that give to the surrounding community? Hey, didn't this guy come to find the people doing the baptisms, preaching the good news of Jesus, and drag them off to prison? Isn't that what the official letters say that he's carrying with them? But he's the one who's going to be baptized. Is that not incredible? What kind of public demonstration of faith and intent to live for Jesus would that have been? Imagine the guts it would take for Saul to be baptized. Imagine the testimony that would be to the church, to the community. Huge testimony. A public way to show our intentions of following Jesus all our days. Number three, baptism is identifying with Christ. Identifying with Christ. It's a picture of our new identity in Christ. It's the powerful imagery of the gospel that God chose himself. This picture of going down into the water and coming up out of the water is the picture of dying to sin and coming alive to new life in Jesus Christ. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch, he and Philip went down into the water and then they came back up out of the water. Jesus' baptism, immediately he came up out of the water. This picture of going down and coming up signifies a change a change in identity, a new way of living, a new life, a new identity. It pictures three aspects of the gospel, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and then that he rose again, he resurrected. Here's the picture, Romans chapter 6 summarizes it really well. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says to the church in Rome, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What he's saying is, should there just be no change in the way we live? We receive the gospel, we receive forgiveness, and then we just go on in sin as we always have. Paul says in verse two, by no means, there's gotta be a change. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, a new way of living. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order to make that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Is that not the most fitting summary of what baptism is all about? It's identifying us with Christ's death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. 
The old life is put to death and the new life has been resurrected. We've come alive to a new way of living in Christ Jesus. No longer bound by sin, no longer slaves to sin. When we go down into the water, it's a picture of Jesus' death in our place. It's our death that Jesus died. It wasn't just a kind gesture that he did, like leaving a coupon on the shelf at the supermarket. He literally took our place on the cross. He died the death that we should have died. Being submerged under the water is a picture of Jesus being buried in the tomb. And Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That was our burial that Jesus took in our place. Jesus didn't just die to show his power. He died for your death. He took your place in that tomb. It wasn't his tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. Being lifted out of the water is a picture of Jesus rising again from the dead. New life. It's a picture of our new life in Christ, a new way of living, no longer dead to sin, but alive to Christ. And it's a future promise of someday when we are resurrected in glory. We're given glorified bodies. Sin no longer has reign and dominion. Sickness and sadness and tears are no more. And someday we, we will be truly resurrected to new, eternal, glorified life with Christ. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we're raised up and we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Baptism is a unique picture that we don't really see anywhere else in our culture today. It's a symbol of our identity in Christ because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection in our place. Here's my fourth and final point about what baptism is. You sticking with me? This means we have 25% of the sermon left. I'm not really good at math, so don't put a lot of weight in that. Baptism is identifying with Christ's church. Baptism identifies us with the church. Obviously, baptism associates us with other people who've been baptized, right? It's like an initiation into the church. It's the same terminology for the indwelling of the Spirit, spiritual baptism into the spiritual body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptized into the body, spiritually, by the power of the spirit. Baptism is a physical picture. The baptism that we're talking about that we're going to see down at the river, it's a physical picture of the spiritual reality of the spirit uniting us as brothers and sisters in the cross of Christ. That was obvious to the early believers. The 3,000 on the day of Pentecost continued to gather as the church from that point on. This is the reason we believe that water baptism is an important part of church membership, official church membership. And it's part of the process. Being part of the church means faith in the gospel of Jesus, publicly identifying with Jesus. Therefore, identifying with his church. If you want to talk more about membership, love to chat with you after the service. Feel free to connect. Use the connect card or connect after the service. 
Do you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with people this spring and this summer about baptism and, and what it's all about. A friend shared an article with me recently that likened uh, the picture of baptism to the picture of the wedding ring and, and the picture of the marriage ceremony. And I thought it was really good. And this, this past weekend, we were at a friend's wedding in New Brunswick. I think we have a picture of it here. Not a great picture. It's kind of sitting in the back corner there in the sun. It was hot. Um, but it, it was our friend Ryan and his new wife Miranda's wedding. And Miranda is a new believer in Jesus Christ. She came to faith in Christ through covid through the testimony of Ryan, his family, his friends, the church family. So that was beautiful. Seeing them come together, new step in their relationship, her newfound faith, growing together as they grow in God, in their shared faith. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. And marriage is a picture of Christ and his love for the church. And my friend Dave Appleby was officiating the wedding. You can just kind of see side of his head in his suit jacket there. Uh, He was making this great point about how their marriage relationship is an example and a public demonstration to the world of the love that Christ has for his church. And he was making some really great points. And as he was making those points, I didn't catch it, but... There was a jet ski, like a sea-doo, towing a tube in behind where the bridal party was out there in the water. And I don't know if they knew there was a wedding going on or if they didn't, but they just kept doing laps <laughs> right behind as the wedding ceremony was going on, as Dave was trying to make these really serious, really profound points about marriage. So there were a lot of chuckles. I don't know if Dave caught on as it was going on, but it was, it was a pretty funny moment. But marriage, you think about it. When, when you're married and you attend a wedding, it's this reminder of your own marriage vows, isn't it? And when two people get married, when a man and a woman get married, they have a ceremony that they invite all of their friends and family that they can to attend this gathering so that they can make a public declaration of their love for one another. They say their vows back and forth, sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, until death do us part. And all of their friends and family and the church and the government, I guess, are all included in witnessing publicly this declaration of love for one another. And the vows are a declaration of intent to continue to love one another and practice those marriage vows in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, until death do them part. And at a certain point in this ceremony, it's pretty typical. I've never seen one ceremony without the exchanging of rings. The wedding ring is a symbol of those vows. We talk about the purity of the material that it's made with and the pure love that the bride and groom have for one another. We talk about its shape, how it's a circle, it's complete, it's unending, it goes on and on. They will love each other until death do them part. And then as they go around, their wedding ring is a symbol, a reminder, a public statement that they are married. It's a public statement of those vows that they made 
publicly intending to love one another. And when you're a married person attending a wedding, it's motivational and inspirational and a reminder and a memorandum that you made those same vows that you need to be practicing. Because it's not enough to say the vows, get the wedding ring, and then you're married as long as death shall do you part. You actually have to practice those marriage vows on a daily basis, don't you? Like I can wake up in the morning and put my ring on. I leave it all the time because it's rubber and it costs me $2.50. <laughs> I do have a nice one, but uh, anyway, long story. I can talk to you about that after the service. When you put that wedding ring on, it reminds you of those vows you made. And those vows aren't something that we just said someday in the past and then that's done, let's move on, next step, what's next? It's actually something that you have to live out on a day-to-day -day basis. That symbol of your marriage and those vows that you declared in public in front of friends and family, you have to actually put them into practice day after day after day after day by choosing to love your spouse in times of poverty and times of wealth, in choosing to serve them in times of sickness and times of health, for good, for worse, for better, for worse, how does that go? Until death do us part? Shouldn't baptism be the same way? And, and this was the key point of the article that was shared with me just in the last month. Shouldn't baptism be the same way? Shouldn't we be practicing our baptism on the daily basis? Like next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to hand out baptism certificates. And Pastor Alex has beautiful little books for each of, the, each of the young people who are baptized today, devotional books to go along with those. We're excited to hand those out. But that certificate is just a piece of paper that Brittany laminates that has a nice picture that re reminds you of the day. But our baptism is something that we need to practice every day, is it not? To wake up and be reminded that, Oh yeah, when I was eight years old at Parkside Baptist Church on Mountain Road in Moncton, New Brunswick, by the side of my father, who was the pastor, I stood in front of the church and I said, I trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And I want to spend the rest of my life following him. I need to remember that that means today forever. And the only death do us part part is to sin. Because Jesus died the death that we should have died and rose to newness of life to give us new life so that we don't have to experience that eternal death and separation from God. Baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done for us and it's a reminder of daily we need to take up our cross and follow him. So let's do it, shouldn't we? All right, I'm gonna close the service in prayer and then we gotta talk about some of the details of baptism before we head down the river and we put this thing into practice. So would you pray with me as we close? God, I want to thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done for us, for this picture of baptism that Jesus died on the cross that we should have died on, that he was buried in our tomb, and that he rose again to give us new life and victory. 
because he knew we could never do that in our own strength as sinful humanity. He did it for us. So God, we praise you for this picture of baptism. For those of us who have been baptized, God, would you remind us of that public declaration that we've made, that it's not just something in our past that we've checked off a list, but it's a daily reminder of the fact that we publicly identify our allegiance in Christ Jesus because of his shed blood, because of his burial, because of his resurrection. God, help us to daily, publicly affirm that decision of following you. By actually following you, would it show to the world the testimony of what it looks like to be a Christian, to be in Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, a believer, a disciple? God, would you remind us of that? Would you show us? God, for those being baptized, we pray a special blessing on them today, that as we congratulate, as we support, as as we hug and high-five and give words of affirmation and encouragement, God, would these things be such a reminder to them of their decision to go public with their faith in Christ. Encourage them to carry their cross daily and to follow you, whatever life may have for them. And God, for those who have not made the decision to be baptized, maybe those in the room today who have not made a decision to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, would baptism be such a picture of what you have done for us that the Holy Spirit would cut them to the heart as it did on the day of Pentecost and that they would turn to you in faith. Maybe we would see them be baptized today as well, Father. God, we praise you for these things. And just for, the, for this beautiful time of celebrating as a church family, faith in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this. This is what we're all about, Father. So remind us of it again. In Jesus' name, amen.